I am Nicholas Bornolis of Capital Inc. and I would like to welcome you all to today's webinar. This is the third webinar in a four webinar series. We have the great privilege to have with us Dr. Martin Stofford, uh, who uh, is going to discuss with us uh, during this four uh, webinar series about managing maritime innovation in the era of change. Today's webinar is the third one in, in the series, and uh, the topic uh, today will be innovative systems to improve performance and cut emissions. So very quickly to remind everyone, uh, Dr. Stopford is going to make a, a presentation, a slide presentation, and then he will be available to reply to your questions. Uh, please, uh, you can submit your questions at the bottom of your screen, you have the Q&A button. Uh, you can submit your questions anytime during the webinar and uh, Martin is going to reply to them uh, afterwards. Uh, and without any more delay, Martin, welcome. Uh, thank you to be uh, for being with us again. Nicholas, uh, thanks so much. Um, and a pleasure to be here again and uh, welcome everybody who's logged in. It's great to, uh, well, I can't actually see you, but I hope you're out there. Um, the, 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 what we've done in the last uh, two webinars, it seems to me, is reach um, three conclusions. I mean, the first one, I think, is that energy is going to be expensive and that includes fossil fuels. Um, the second one is that the investment is likely to develop in waves in green energy, and uh, but it isn't going to be sort of one size fits all. It's going to be waves that will differ between the many market segments. I mean, there's probably 20 or 30 different market segments that will behave slightly differently. And then the third thing is that maybe um, coming from the first of the webinars, the cargo owners are going to develop perhaps a different sort of relationship with the sea transport business from the one which has worked very well for the last 30 or 40 years, but is really very market driven and quite adversarial and therefore not all that suitable for a business where you're trying to develop logistic systems as well as everything else. Um, in this session, we're going to talk about uh, innovation and the uses of uh, digital technology to develop new systems in all parts of the industry. Um, and so I'll be looking at the, um, the ships, I'll be looking at the, um, the company organizations and the internal or the external global logistics. And I guess when I when I ran through this presentation to begin with and thought what the implications were, I was reminded of um, President Lee Kun Hee of Samsung's uh, suggestion to his managers that they should change everything except their wife and kids, which was really quite, um, I think it sort of hits the nail on the head. It's hard to sit here and say everything's going to change. But from where I sit today, it's hard not to believe that a lot of things will change. Well, I'm, as usual, I'm going to talk to you through slides. And um, so if, if I may, I'm just going to share my, uh, my screen with you. And um, I hope that you are now seeing my slides. 
and uh, if not then someone can send me a message uh, we have we were playing with this quite a lot yesterday um so the the, the uh, let me just move my camera around as well you know i can see see the screen a bit better okay well um just to, to to sort of recap the whole agenda i'm going to start off uh, on digital systems with the general theme that uh, that, that digital systems are very much about detail. They're about, they have to be designed, they have to be validated, they have to be applied, they have to be monitored, and then they have to be updated, the famous rolling out of updates, which is a nightmare for anybody in the IT world. Um, and so um, what, uh, what I'm going to start by doing is briefly um, reviewing the value added by digital events, requests, and queries. Um, and that sequence, events and requests and queries, is quite an important one because really it sums up most of the things that digital systems do. They record events or they notify of events. They issue requests to other systems and they issue queries to databases and that you'll find that these lurk at the bottom of most system applications. So it's good to get them clear at the beginning. Then from that, we'll move on to digital systems on the ship and the digital systems in the shipping company. And finally, integrated global transport systems. So that's the agenda. Let's start with part one, the value added by digital information requests and queries. And uh, I mean, one of the aims here is to, and I'm just hoping you can see my um, my cursor because I'm pointing to um, cutting fossil fuels and implementing I4 technology go hand in hand. And that's sort of the key issue here. Um, AI and robots have very good specific applications, but that it's a niche area, I would say, and autonomous ships are a very interesting challenge and specialist. But really what we're talking about is systems that will help to run the business better. And that involves management figuring out how better systems could add value to the business. This is something that McKinsey raises. I'll revert to it later, but um, McKinsey say most awful lot of people start back to front. They start with the technology and they say, what can we do with this? They should start with looking for the best ways to add value, value and say, where do we get the technology to do this? You then have to, you have to find the best technology tools to make these new systems work effectively. And it, not necessarily new tools. You may be using stuff that's been around for quite a while. And then thirdly, there was plan, prototype, test, trial, develop, roll out, and be patient to make all this stuff work. And I have, having spent you know, most of my life in the, in the shipping business, and particularly thinking of the last 20 or 30 years, this is a, not something that most shipping companies were set up to do. And it deserves, you know, it deserves a bit of thought. Um, to, to just clarify this point about um, the use of uh, tools of digital innovation, that's events, requests, and queries, um, what popped into my mind as I was putting the presentation together was the, um, 
the old mythological story of Theseus and Ariadne and Theseus killing the Minotaur. Uh, and the, the reason I thought of this was that really, um, it's quite an interesting sequence when you think about it. The events, this is, uh, this is Ariadne um, uh, at the opening to the, at the door to the labyrinth, and she's giving um, Theseus um, a ball of thread. And what she's saying to him is that he's going to use that thread to plot the, to, to he's going to unra unravel it as he walks to the Minotaur's um, den. And then he's created a digital, a, 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 not a digital string, a thread of information which will help him to get out. And that is the equivalent of storing a digital string. Then, of course, Ariadne issues the request, please use this sword, which she gives him to kill the Minotaur. Uh, I, I mean, I know Theseus isn't, uh, isn't digital, but uh, he could be a robot, you know, from some ancient, who knows. Um, and um, then finally, uh, the query. Uh, when he's killed the Minotaur, Minotaur, I don't know how you pronounce it, he queries his thread database, and that tells him how to get out of the um, uh, out of the labyrinth. And so, if you put all that stuff together, um, you've got a lot of the, the the really the the main elements of an information system, um, uh, including requests from the management, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's let's move on a little bit to the uh, the shipping business and query. Uh, let's do a query of tanker fleet performance. Um, and we're going to query the tanker fleet database. And here you go. This shows you on the left-hand axis of this chart. Um, it, it shows you the uh, oil tanker fleet performance in thousand ton miles of cargo transported per dead weight per annum. So it goes from 5,000 to 45,000. The peak efficiency was 42,000 ton miles of oil cargo delivered in 1973 and 1974. And that falls to 2,000 ton miles per dead weight in 2023. And so we've queried our database, we've got this result. If you were the um, the manager of the tanker business, you might very well have a board meeting to discuss why it's gone down so much. And uh, I mean, this little table up here gives you a bit more information. The great thing is if you've got data, you can drill down. And it tells us that some very obvious truths. The oil cargo um, increased by 519%. This is the little table top line. Um, 582 to 3.2 billion, 519% increase. Meanwhile, the tanker fleet increased from 71 million dead weight to, to 637 million dead weight. That's 895%. So we've been growing the tanker fleet a lot bigger than a lot more than the um uh, than the cargo. Oh, of course, lots of you know, the quick answer to that is, of course, ton miles that people always say is ton miles. But actually, uh, between 1963 and 2023, the average ton miles 
the average distance in nautical miles has not changed at all. It's 102 percent. It was 4,200 miles in 1963, and it was 4,287 miles in 2023. So it's not that. What is it? Well, we might then move on a little bit more. Let's have a look at queries that might tell us answers to uh, to to um, this question. And of course, the key point here is that you can't do the queries unless you've recorded events in a database in a form that you can uh, query them. And that, you know, that database has to be created from the events. An event is just a package of data saying something happened. And it, um, in this case, um, the pie chart shows the thought sorts of things that you might query from your ship operations database, and I'm sure many of you do. Um, you um, And this is a products tanker, quite a modern one recently. It was, I got the numbers out of the Danish Greek green ship of the future study, and so it's perfectly kosher. This ship, um, in a year, was spending 53% of its time uh, in transit, that's the red, 21% of its time waiting, that's the grey, 20% um, handling cargo, and 5%, 6% manoeuvring. And that, um, you know, that tells you a very interesting story because you're immediately drilled down to where you need to be focusing. I remember going into um, a, a, a cargo fleet office a few years ago, and the new manager there had been uh, had taken one look at the fleet and had started doing this sort of thing in minute detail. But he didn't use a he didn't wasn't actually using a database. He divided the, uh, the transport profile of the fleet into eighty different topics and he got these all around the office on sheets of paper and he was slowly ticking the boxes and sorting them out and that's a you know it's a rudimentary but very effective way of um, tackling a management uh, objectives problem and of course if you do it digitally you find all sorts of new information that can help you that's the first thing and the second thing is that sometimes that information can be queried from the database and if the answer falls into certain parameters then it can be used to activate um to, to perform actions like theseus uh, killing the minotaur you make a request to, or more conventionally you know if you go on amazon you issue a request to order um an ipad and that that's an event it, it goes into the database as an event um so uh uh, just a very brief word about this whole digital events thing. I mean, I know this is highly simplistic, but I'm one of the things that I have noted is that it is often very difficult to get information out of the uh, telematic information out of the equipment on board ship. And one of the reasons for this is that the data has... Um, telematics which dictate, which um, uh, project, extent, they send um, 
small packages of digital data, which is binary data, and that's received and that needs to be interpreted. And to interpret it, you need to know the exact format. And, and in this particular example, we've got a pump uh, in the middle, which is showing five, which in that for that pump, let's assume it means the pump's fully open. Um, and we want to we want to send the number five along the, um, the network. And the way you do it is you're going to send it in ASCII code. And you do that by looking up the ASCII code for five, which you can get off this table here. It's uh, these digits um, from this left, reading from left to right and these digits read, reading from left to right too. And that it's 10101110. You send that to um, the controller and it appears on the screen as five, the pump's open or it's translated into the... And, and so the, the, the point is that you need this, this binary information means, not, means nothing if you haven't got the code. And that's why it has two effects. One is if you've got a fleet of 50 ships with a million different uh, bits of kit on them, they might all, the telematics might all have different codes and it's very, and you may have difficulty finding out what they are. So it's hard to collect the harvest the data. Um, and the second factor is that you, um, you, you do need to uh, integrate this stuff. It's, uh, it's no good just sending data. Someone has to do something with it. And as McKinsey said famously um, a few years ago, that a typical offshore platform has 30,000 sensors on it. Um, and only 5% 5, 5 of the data gets looked at, and it's generally the wrong 5%. <laughs> so McKenzie seemed to spend a lot of time figuring out that things don't work very well. Well, this very dense uh, chart, I don't know if you can see them, uh, has 22 examples of ways of adding value in a business, a maritime business with events, um, requests and queries. And so the sort of things you can do is you can do much better management accounts, which really relate to the things the board and the management are interested in. Um, you set up the systems to generate that information with the codes that allow you to download it, download it from the database and very quickly uh, turn it into management reports. I spent a lot of time doing this sort of thing at Clarkson Research. Um, an important thing to build into this, uh, this is an idea I borrowed off Peter Drucker, is that you should record information about things that don't happen. Because one of the problems is many of the um, things, that, techniques you may use to improve the performance of your company or your ship uh, might involve stopping it doing things that are not helping performance. For example, if you do preventive maintenance, uh, the pump uh, that otherwise was going to break down doesn't break down, so the ship is not left high and dry in the middle of the Pacific, um, may, uh, costing $100,000 in lost freight and repair costs. Um, but the trouble is, the fact that it doesn't break down doesn't appear in the reports. So you need to get find ways to report things that don't happen. And in this third um, box here along the top row, um, you collect data on defects. And the fourth one, we monitor the use 
of uh, equipment against performance limits. So you look at whether the equipment is being used within the specified performance limits. For example, a crane manufacturer puts a telematic on his crane and gets a stream of data. And when an insurance, when, when a guarantee claim comes in, he can check and say, oh yes, actually you use this crane to lift bigger weights than it's uh, guaranteed for. And that's the, the, the sensors have, have provided him with that data. And that that's just as valid to a company that doesn't want its stuff to break down as it is to the manufacturer, you know? Early signs of equipment failure, very important. That's the next one. The next one, the last one on the top, is fine-tuning engine performance. I mean, this is a fascinating one. I had a friend who ran the technology department for one of the Formula One racing teams, and they he had a hundred people, and they didn't, you know, their job was to figure out any way possible to make the car perform better in ways you would never dream of, and then they would figure out how to get the data by putting FPAGAs or sensors on the car. They collect the data, they program it. And they um, th th then they they put it to work if it worked. Now, and this doesn't this doesn't solve all the problems because I was doing a presentation in Hong Kong and um, uh, and I quoted this and Tim Huxley, who's a, a keen Formula racing man, said, "Well, if they're so good, at, how come they don't win more races?" And I asked the guy uh, when I saw him next why this was the case. So oh, he said, "He said, oh well." Our engine isn't very good. Um, the, we need a new engine. And then there's lots more of these things. I don't think I'm going to go through them all because I um, uh, they're, they're along the same sort of theme. But basically, I'll just do the last one on the bottom right-hand side of, the, of row three. Display information needs to be displays are really really important if you read up on major accidents it's surprising how often a good well thought out display perhaps with some warning applications sitting behind it could have prevented um an accident which 10 people on the bridge were serving for what was the problem why it was were searching to figure out why the helm wouldn't respond you know that sort of thing so um uh, I'm just giving these as examples of the, the, the many things you can, if, if you have a vision, you can really do these things, but it's a long, hard slog to get them done. Once they're done, it puts you at the head of the pack. And then finally, in this section, the global communication system is absolutely gunning for us. We've got these three network areas here in the middle there's the, um, the, the cable network, which shipping was one of the first and the biggest users of the cable network. I mean, in, 19, in 1873, um, Henry Benham, who was the key broker at Clarkson's, um, was down to the Baltic fixing ships. And then he'd head back three times a day, he'd head back to the office, cable um, the ship in wherever it was. Uh, and the, the, the master would pick up the cable, go fix the cargo, go and collect the cargo. It was massive saving. And in I think from memory, in 1873, Clarkson spent more money on cables than they did on wages. Well, of course, <laughs> brokers didn't get paid so much those days. But you, you get the drift. 
This stuff is very important. The satellites are getting much better. The, we now have computers. Um, you see the started in the 50s, the first CDC supercomputer is shown uh, 1964. These link into the cable network. And that meant from that time, you could share information between computers, which is the core of what we're talking about today. It's got better and better. We now have the cloud, we have microprocessors, and we have a bunch of um, softwares and network systems, which can be used by um, management to run a fleet of ships as a transport factory, integrate lo global logistics. And um, all of this is built on collecting performance data, you know, like Ari Ariadne's thread, designing interfaces so that you can use it easily and you can see what's going on, develop databases so that the thread is there when you need it and you've killed the monster, and creating systems which do things and displays and reports. They, these are all, once you start to build, um, it, it all comes together. Well, let's move on and talk a little bit about the um, digital systems on the ship. And today we've got 100,000 ships on the sea, and they have, you know, many of them don't have very good digital systems at all. A few have very good systems, but I'd say generally chatting to people um, for most companies, I mean, bearing in mind, you know, that um, the, the you know, many, almost half the fleet consists of companies with only two or three ships. Um, this sort of thing is quite de demanding. Um, the, but the first big challenge is for the shipbuilders who need to integrate the, uh, the um, uh, onboard systems, uh, which you can see in this chart. We've got this chart shows eight different systems. The, each is massive, complex, and um, the challenge for the shipbuilders uh, and the equipment suppliers, people like Kongsberg, is to provide the systems which reliably deal with all these issues and can be used uh, by the crew and are, are efficient. Well, the, the system that most ships use currently is local area networks, LANs, as they're called. And they these are used to manage um, the, 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 trans, in, the, the sharing of data between computers and equipment with computers embedded in them. And this little drawing here shows a typical LAN um, it's, a, it's a simple arrangement. It uses LANs run um, ethanol, the Ethernet protocol developed by Hewlett Packard in the 1960s. Um, and it um, consists of wires with special with Ethernet plugs. You've all seen them. And it's, it's a wonderful system. You just plug in the Ethernet into a, um, a switcher hub and um, the, 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 the switch, was, the hub will um, uh, transport data from uh, one, fr fr from the um, uh, provider providing units to the, the, the device that it wants to send it to. 
Um, very often on the, well, definitely on the bigger systems, you'll have a server, which uh, in addition to storing files, uh, central files, which everybody can access, uh, which is a key thing. Um, it also has apps, which everybody can use. And all of this can plug into machinery, etc. So uh, a LAN can support a wide variety of compatible network devices, uh, such as firewalls, etc. And you can plug peripherals into it. And indeed, the um, uh, most of the computer systems today on ships are based around local area networks of this sort. And this is an example of a navigation system. Um, and you have the, the LAN with two different um, loops uh, dealing with um, navigation uh, screens, controls, and links into um, uh, sensor interrogation. There's here you've got a link into a network gateway, and on the other side is a network of sensors, and the same, uh, and there's two of those. And he, the, these are the sorts down at the bottom of the sorts of sensors that um, they uh, th that they're communicating with. Uh, of course, this is all looks beautiful. In the left hand side is the nice control console. Um, but of course, in the background, there is a lot of wires. And given, you know, that ships are at sea, things take time, rolling out upgrades is difficult. Um, one you roll out one of the upgrades to one system and it screws up another system that sort of thing um the harder the bigger and more complex the system the tougher it gets and ideally this sort of system integration is done by the shipbuilders um and um the pro the problem really here is that anyway integrating systems and making them work is very difficult and again McKinsey did a lot of surveys on this, and they reckon this is a few years ago, about five years ago, they reckoned then only 30% of manufacturing companies were actually getting value from using their uh, digital data. Um, one of the classics that came up with this wonderful thing um, called uh, pilot purgatory, where what happens is you develop, everyone gets enthusiastic, you develop the new system, you test it, you, you develop the pilot scheme, um, you test it, and um, you start to roll it out. But it, for some reason, it never gets out of the pilot scheme level. It's very hard to roll it out. And I've tried, I remember trying very hard with a sales mar and marketing system. It is very difficult to, to roll out a new system while you continue to operate a business with another system. Um, the... Uh, a major problem for developers, this is another McKinsey point, is that you focus on the technology rather than finding value added and working back to the technology to deliver it. And um, there are often lots of organizational problems in implementing this. Uh, governance is uh, who's on in charge, you know, the ship shore issue. I mean, let's not pretend that's not a problem. Um, anchoring. Um, it's not, it's a problem that's solvable. I mean, I've seen, but it's it's a tricky one. Uh, and anchoring that's reverting to old ways is, is well known. Uh, lack of clarity on what is 
business value, what is really adding value. Um, limited people and financial resources, too many potential use cases, um, projects get stuck in pilot purgatory. And today's shipping companies were not really designed to do this sort of thing. And that's why the, the president of Samsung, you know, got it right, uh, really. And indeed, look at Samsung today. They got, they got out of that very difficult place they were in, in the early 90s. Um, the problem for shipbuilders, though, is massive. I mean, this chart, uh, sorry, it's another McKinsey chart. I hope McKinsey don't mind me quoting their data. Um, this shows the number of product run, the number in a product run. So it goes from one to a million. And this shows the number of products the company's managing, which goes from one to 12. So, you know, if you're doing smartphones, it's... Um, you do you have one one or two products and you make a million at a time if you're doing shipbuilding you might have eight products and you're only producing two or three if you're lucky often just one and having you know for my days in shipbuilding it's a nightmare you know first time round the boy with a new ship is a nightmare but it's great to see the shipbuilders are mood, moving into smart shipping this is the the um Daewoo DSME um, brochure that I just picked up the other day. I haven't had a chance to talk to them about it, but it's saying all the right things. And there's no doubt about they're trying to move down the road to do this. But to go down this road, it does take two to tango. Um, some, you know, the, the, the customer has to in, uh, input. And you'll notice all of these systems, um, when you read the marketing literature, um, they emphasize again and again the need to adapt to customers' needs and the needs to get customers involved. But this looks to pretty good. It's, it's got heavy, heavyweight technical backing, and it's a very big step down the road, I would say, from where we were five years ago. I'm just, and apologies to all the other shipbuilders I'm not mentioning who I'm sure are doing the same thing. Um, and if I'm not saying it right, give me a call, please. Um, one of the most important systems today is the Kongsberg K-Chief um, comprehensive system. Uh, they told me they, I think they have it on 10,000 ships now. Um, it's, a, it's a standalone system covering many onboard functions. Modular hardware and software applications are, are combined to meet vessel requirements. And this reduces interface requirements. I, I'm just quoting from their literature here. So they're, they're, they're trying to deal with the high variety of systems by modularizing using different lands, which are modularized so they can work together. Um, it's modular design is connected by local data networks with distributed processing. Well, and what you're trying to do there is because speed and timeliness is so important in these systems they're tying they, they split the job into bits and they perform it um close to the processor so that it that you don't have long cable lags as messages go back and forwards the whole thing is performed very very quickly with this uh, distributed processing system um and you find you know, this speed and timeliness of system response is a very big issue because ships are so big. 
Uh, integration allows vessel operations to be covered consistently with information flow through the whole system. And there's a list here of the areas they cover. It's everything. And it's fine, but of course, lands are lands. You know, it's it, it's fairly um, aged uh, technology, nothing wrong with that. But there are one or two other network systems which, for certain applications, can get over the the integration issue um, uh, and the speed issue, uh, perhaps better than a LAN, because a LAN is a serial system, um, whereas um, a control area network that I'm showing you in this chart um, is a synchronized system. Every everybody, all, all the systems on the network. Here's your here's your backbone, and these are the systems. Each system sits behind an electronic control unit, and the electronic control unit just plugs into the network. And um, you've also got sensors around the ship which plug into this network, uh, and um, the uh, uh, basically the uh, the systems talk to each other in a synchronized in, uh, simultaneously it's all synchronized and it's a bit cleverer than that because the big thing about this this uh, canvas system is that it checks the priority of the message and each of these systems as a, as it publishes a message onto the backbone. Um, it goes through it digit at a time and sorts out which is the most high, highest priority message and all the others back off and the highest priority message gets sent first, which may not sound much, but when you've got a big system and you need to do certain things instantly, and you, you need really to concentrate your resources perhaps in one of these systems, which is working hard, it means that you don't get a bunch of other garbage coming in from the from unimportant systems. It is a very, you know, the control area network. And it's this which revolutionized cars. I mean, it, it was introduced in the 90s. Um, it got rid of most of that awful wiring you used to have in cars. You had, you know, great big uh, spools of, of uh, you know, great bunches of wires, uh, which were a massive cause of, uh, of deterioration. and uh, you know, instead of you put a control area network into the car and instead of having um, a switch on the dashboard that you switch electric current in and it took went down a wire to the back window, um, you you simply the button sends a message down the canvas backbone It's received by the back window motor, which um, opens the window. And just to make it better, if the window gets jammed, there's a little um, app, a, a little uh, program. Uh, checking that, and it, if if it is jammed, the program immediately stops the motor. So you know, once you go down these roads, you open the door to doing a lot of clever things. But someone has to be smart enough to tell the programmers and the system builders what you want, and to make sure that once it's done, you do actually get um, the uh, the product. Um, as uh, uh, you, know, you do get the information working for you and adding value, you know, as McKinsey says, producing data is of no value at all. What matters to Theseus is 
the piece of thread. It's no good giving a, a bundle of wool. <laughs> he needs the piece of thread that, that, that he laid, you know? And this is this slide 15 shows an example of a controller area network using um, a protocol called NMEA 2000, which is designed for boats and ships up to um, uh, about um, 100 feet, I think it is. It's fairly small, but this is a proprietary system. What is so wonderful about this is these are the backbones, and you've got all these bits of kit, you know, um, this one, number six, um, is the uh, course computer. All you do is you have a standard plug, you the, the switch box arrive, you plug it into the plug in the backbone with the standard proprietary switch, and um, uh, you plug it into the mains as well, that's that one, and off you go. It, it works immediately, it's plug and play, and um, uh, you know you can see all the different bits of kits are, kit uh, are plugged together, and uh, I mean you know, if you go on YouTube, you'll see a guy fitting one of these systems to his boat. It's, uh, so it's not rocket science in shipping. As always in shipping, it's not that it's rocket science. It's that the ships are so big, so complex, it's overwhelming. And, you know, you need a, an organization capable of not being overwhelmed to do it. Which brings us to uh, shipping company systems. The... Um, and I'm going to speed up a little bit now because I'm taking a bit longer than I expected. But some of the key tasks uh, for um, smart ship management are, first of all, integrating management across the, the transport chain. You need to get everybody linked together on some sort of network. Secondly, develop ship and shore personnel into a productive team. That's the goal. You get them. I mean, you know, if if you've got um, uh, you know twenty or thirty ships, you've probably you've got far more people at sea than you have on land. And with the communications, they keep putting up these satellites. There's some wonderful new ones went up a couple of months ago from Inmarsat. Um, okay, it's not cheap, but it, it but the point is that um, people aren't cheap. And we're all used to working from home now. So what's the difference between working from home and working from the ship? I mean, of course, there is a slight difference, but um, you get my point. Um, you need to, you, 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 another aim is to manage assets better. Uh, these are enormously expensive assets. And I just picked up this quote in para three from Ford Motor Company in 2016, when they were being run over by the um, electric uh, car um, and the, by the this, uh, emissions whole decarbonization thing. Um, and they said, we're thinking, rethinking our business models. For years, we thought about the thing and how much we sold. Now we think about usage. In other words, they've changed the questions they're asking. And I think that's a very good question that applies absolutely to ships. You stop thinking about ships and you start thinking about services, transport services provided. When you do that, you change your perspective. Produce regulatory reports, which de detail value added. Of course, reports are essential. I mean, you know, it's no good having data if you don't use it. The more you use it, the better it is. And 
you can make it easy to use if you work hard at it. And support through transport systems we'll come back to in a minute. Well, this is my diagram for uh, <laughs> running um, a fleet as a transport factory. You start out with your cluster of ships and the people serving those ships. They're a big group. Um, you've got the technical support team and the, uh, the digital support team sitting in the background, probably on land. In fact, I guess, um, but, you know, rolling out upgrades, harvesting digital data, rope processing reports, you know, do you really need the master to be sitting in his cabin filling in reports? Shouldn't somebody on shore be doing that? Um, and checking it with him, of course, you know. Um, and the warehouse, uh, the data warehouse, the company systems, the links with the customer, the cargo owner, uh, and the ports and the shipbuilders, and finally the, the management in the middle of the whole thing. And you know, this with this sort of system and this sort of network, um, you can start to uh, realize benefits from rethinking the way you look at the thing, as Paul, as Paul put it. Um, well, let's come finally. I've nearly finished. <laughs> You'll be relieved to know that makes two of us. Um, it, uh, integrated transport systems. Um, the bottom line here is that the global logistics systems were established 50 years ago when electronic data interchange, EDI, was very limited. I remember the guys from the container companies, you know, um, OCL moaning in the early 90s about how you, you know, the problems, how little you could do with EDI, you know, you could hardly, you know, you couldn't run big databases. It was a pain. Um, today, we've got massive, massive connectivity, but we haven't really changed the model very much. And I think, again, we need to look at the thing a bit differently to try and do that. Um, just, I mean, you know, you don't need to apologize for shipping being behind the pack because nobody else has such a hard job to do. This is this is the logistics system. You've got the transport managers. Here's the um, the, ves the, 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 the vessel owners, the um, uh, common carriers, the freight forwarders, and then they're feeding their uh, information to the, the through the export port to. Uh, the various inland transport, sorry, through the um, system to the exporter, the inland transport system or short C, the export port, and then that goes to the import port, another load of information to carriers, um, the information to the importer, and digital data is the, the you know, Maersk talk about, um, did a study where they reckoned, I seem to remember there was 42 pieces of paper um, shipping a container from Central Africa to um, Europe. And two of the bits of paper got stuck together. And one got, as a result, one got lost and it held the whole consignment up. And these, I spent ages going through listings, getting this. The, these are some of the documents, commercial documents, customs documents, regulatory documents, trade finance documents. You've got to convert, get this stuff 
from one computer to another. And look how many, they're probably, you talk about 50 bits of paper, they're probably 50 computer systems. And what you're looking at here, there are now systems, um, uh, event streaming systems like Apache Kafka, which can deal with this problem. These are designed to let, let big companies with, uh, or small, with um, legacy, computer systems they don't want to let anybody into, communicate quickly, easy, reliably with small companies, with only a PC or with other big companies with different legacy systems or with port port systems, etc. And uh, Apache Kafka was developed uh, as one of, uh, uh, it's an open source system. It was developed for LinkedIn, actually, which uh, in 2009, that was getting such an enormous surge of data through it. They needed to be able to very rapidly transfer data from A to B from many computer systems between many computer systems. And they use um, th this messaging, th this uh, 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 event-driven messaging systems to do that uh, and you may wonder how how does Amazon manage to get I can order a package where I'm sitting uh, and get it delivered from Brussels tomorrow morning you know and and they do that with this sort of messaging software and so um, it's just very difficult to do in shipping because it's so complex there was an effort to get a single window going but I'm not totally I, I haven't heard much of that lately uh, maybe it is effective. Uh, the, the last point of the whole is really that um, we should develop a new generation of short C services. We've done a lot about digitalize about decarbonization. Um, we're talking about digitalization. Um, one of the and logistics, one of the things we can do is that um, look at short C services because the decarbonization software works particularly our systems, not software, but the hardware, et cetera, it probably works better in short C applications. And so you start looking at, for example, point to point um, uh, transport, short C transport networks uh, within Northwest Europe, which is a rapidly growing area taking cargo directly to the port closest to the final destination. I mean, in the UK, all of the containers, or 11, uh, 11 or I think about eight, 95% of the containers come into three ports in the Southeast, uh, and then they get loaded onto road and rail, very few get transshipped. So, and so the alternative, and they all travel by carbon intensive land transport up to the north. Uh, the alternative may, one alternative is you, big, you bring your very big ships into say Rotterdam, which has an enormous uh, automated transshipment terminal, short sea, deep sea. And then you have clever systems which allow uh, companies to run feeder services and you just ring in and book them. Uh, I'm not saying that's easy because you've got inventory things, but you've got very good automated cargo handling. You know, McDermott um, are doing um, autonomous uh, cranes, which they say they seem to think would be very good for ports. So there's lots of things to look at there, which would be a big help. Um, but pulling it all together, you know, people do get a bit 
carried away by autonomous ships. And I, my argument in this whole session is that we're not talking about getting an autonomous ship that does the job better. What we're talking about is thinking about our thing, our business, in a new way that enables us to use this enormous resource of digital technology and communications to do the job better. And um, that means meeting IMO's emission targets better and proving that you're meeting them to IMO and to your customer. Focus on increasing value added by sea transport bought rather than just the volume of cargo. We look at how much value you're adding, including the cost of carbon. And once you start to factor that in, you start to pay, it starts to pay for the digital systems to monitor it, I would suspect. Um, fine tune existing designs while developing integrated networks. Um, the job of management is to tell the system designers what to do. You know, it's no good if you go back to old Theseus, um, it's no good getting the guy who made the sword to fight the Minotaur. I mean, that's, he makes swords, he doesn't fight Minotaurs. Um, what you've got to do is the guy makes the sword in the way that is suitable for killing a Minotaur, and then you need uh, Theseus to use it effectively. And that's, uh, that, that, that's what adding value is about. Theseus is adding value very effectively using a, a piece of equipment developed by someone else. Uh, and frankly, if, if the sword is pretty useless, he might have had a problem, you know. So it goes back to Tim Huxley and the, um, the Formula One motor. You need to get the whole story right. Uh, develop integrated ship systems which communicate robustly. Um, that's one short sentence, one, one, <laughs> one very long job for someone. I reckon it takes 10 years in this life. Big, big jobs like this take 10 years, you know. I mean, that's just the way business is. Um, you, you, you get through by pretending they only take two years and then, uh, you know, um, run shipping companies as sea transport factories with integrated control. And last but not least, educate associations, education institutions, companies all need to do this. It's absolutely you can't do it without the people. How, whatever you say about autonomous ships, digital systems, if there's one message coming out of this rather long talk, it is that digitalization is about people, not computers. Well, there we go. Um, I'm going to I, I'm going to now stop sharing my screen and uh, move myself back. Martin, you already have uh, a number of questions in the queue. Let me oh, okay. start with uh, two of them that I have received. Uh, what is the time scale? I mean, you have mentioned a number of difficulties. Uh, what is the time scale for being able to uh, address them? Oh, well, I, I, you know, I'm glad you ask that question because um, I, so I, I think the answer um, the answer is a very difficult one. In a way, I almost answered that in my last closing sentences. Everything takes 10 years. I've found all the projects I've done over the years 
Um, it was exactly that when I went to the farm, I said, you know, it's going to take, I said to the guys, this is going to take 10 years, and it took 10 years um, uh, to really finish it. But of course, you've got the problem of motivation. And so it takes 10 years, but you take it one step at a time. And I think my advances, the time, my advice would be the time scale should be 10 years, but you should plan that in terms of the steps which the company can take over that period of, of, of time. Well, the the second question that I that came through, um, and you're already seeing more coming as we speak, uh, you mentioned that shipbuilders are now offering uh, digital uh, designs and digital uh, equipment uh, solutions. So how can shipping companies take advantage of that? Well, I, I must say, I was, th thank you for that question again. I, I was very um, interested to see what it, what DSME was doing. And of course, I've been picking it up from other shipbuilders. They're all working away on it. But I, I think the general, again, the general theme of this, uh, this, this webinar has been that um, the, the customer has to know enough about the business in order to guide the supplier in what they want and what they require. And you'll find that like Kongsberg made their system modular so that the bits could be fitted together to suit the customer's requirements. Um, and that, whichever way you look at it, your company must have an ideally the chief executive because, uh, or somebody very senior working with the chief executive must have enough understanding to, uh, you don't need to program. I mean, I haven't programmed for years, but I wrote my first program, 50, computer program 50 years ago and the principles don't change. You need to be able to talk turkey with the supplier of your systems. And in that case, it would be the shipbuilder. So picking up on the other questions that you also can see yourself, um, dear Martin, could you please share what uh, I4 technology stands for exactly on slide three? Okay, this um, it's it's a sort of uh, term that gets kicked around in consultancy areas. The the derivation is that um, the, the economic historians. Um, thoughts that there were uh, three um, in industrial revolutions of which um, uh, the first, um, well, there was the pre-industrial era, then there was the, um, I think it was steel, then it was um, steam, and then it was electricity. I think those were the three, but different consultants defined the three revolutions in different ways, but they were times when the whole available infrastructure um, to industry changed because when, when electricity came in, you could do things completely differently. When the steam engine came in, you could suddenly sail without the wind, you know. Um, and the, 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 the term I-4 was used to refer to digital the, the digital revolution as being the fourth revolution. In other words, it's saying this digital revolution is on the same scale as the previous three great revolutions in history, and you should regard it that way. So I, I don't know if that's, and, and I would agree with that. Um, 
there's um you have another question on uh, if you can have a view on uh, artificial intelligence yes um well it's you know it's interesting i mean i um I lost my house keys last week and I keep asking chat GBT where they are, but uh, it doesn't seem to have any good answers. You know, I, I think, you know, you that artificial intelligence um, is um, so it is another tool to be used. And I mean, I gave the very little example, but it's generic of, you know, the digital system on the car, which um, opens the back window uh, or the back door digitally and um, then you build in little algorithms which check the door's going well and if it if it senses that it isn't it takes action and that is an intelligent a piece of intelligent technology and I think there's enormous um, opportunities to do this within ship systems um, but again it's something that has to be crafted I mean, I I went to um, uh, uh, there's a, a big exhibition called um, Big Data London, which uh, and a couple of years ago I went to a lecture by a girl from um, uh, Google who was um, programming on the car, and that's all all she did. Her whole job was changing lanes, and you know the. Uh, what she said again and again is you've got to check your code. And I think the whole problem with this sort of thing is that you, that, that artificial intelligence is very useful, but you have to keep it in its box, in its cage and make sure that it is safe and you need to check it and check it again. Um, and that's what she was saying. You know, the car intelligent is it smart enough to change lanes but figuring out all the permutations of things that might go wrong um, is mind-boggling. So I think that holds things back, you know. Um, it's getting better, though. So another question that I think is really particularly uh, important is how can existing vessels be, be converted to uh, burn clean fuel? Um, oh yes, and and is it possible to clean present fuel? Um, I guess that's in two parts. The first is, can you convert the to green fuel? Um, I, I think the answer to the first part is that, um, that 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 I'm sure you can if you take it into a, a, a repair yard and you want to to say uh, and but it's a big job if you, if you want to keep your diesel engine um, then you would, um, I don't know whether MA, the engine manufacturers do a conversion kit for, you know, recent electronic engines, for example. Um, that's a question to ask them. Um, but I, I think converting existing ships uh, is, is, is going to be, is technically possible, but might be, um, rather expensive methanol might be easier i think it's it's a technical question but you know that um the the possibility of cleaning present fuel i guess you're sort of um uh, dr resin you're thinking here about um uh, doing the same sort of thing as taking sulfur out of desulfurizing heavy fuel oil and I think the answer to that is no, you can't do that because um, 
um, it's uh, it's a hydrocarbon and the chemical process um, of creating energy involves um, splitting up, splitting out the carbon, and you you know you so you, you, that's not possible. Um, the only way you can do that is you take the the, the heavy fuel oil. Um, trying to think how you do it. Um, yeah, you could take the heavy fuel oil, you could use it to um, produce um, um, hydrogen. You capture all the carbon em emitted and then you would um, sequester it and you'd use the hydrogen instead of the heavy fuel oil, which means you'd have to re re-equip the ship. That's a very difficult question. <laughs> um, well, then let's, uh, we are past the hour, let's uh, go to a final question. Um, how uh, enthusiastic are the shipping companies to accept the new digital system? Um, I, well, I ran a brief list of the problems just in one of my last slides in the problems that come up when you're trying to implement this stuff in shipping companies. And um, I wouldn't say that lack of enthusiasm is on that list at all. I, I, I would say if, if there was an enthusiasm index, it's over the last 10 years, it's risen, you know, maybe tw 10 years ago, it was you know, 10, it's risen it risen up and four, four or five years ago, when places like SMM and um, uh, was, uh, you know, focusing on digital technology, the, the, the enthusiasm level was very high. Recently, it's fallen back a little bit. Um, and it's much more, uh, um, it's been a, 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 a put, pushed into the background by decarbonization. But I, I don't think the problem is lack of enthusiasm. I think everybody understands a lot of the things. I'd be surprised if most people didn't sort of well, quite understand what I was trying to say today in this webinar. All I was trying to do was pull it together into one place. Um, the, the big problem is actually doing it. And then to do it, you need organizations. And the, the, it, that does take time. You need organizations, education, people, and inspiration. You know, you find that certain, you know, certain managers have the gift of doing this sort of thing. Others find it harder, you know. Martin, we were about to close the session, but then another question came in. So let's take it. Uh, and uh, could you analyze how the new building market says? Uh, I would like to analyze the new building market. I would like to ask if the shipping cycle still plays an important role in the decision-making or whether the focus from shipping companies are more in the alternative fuels. Well, <laughs> that's, that is a wonderful question. I have to, uh, as a person who's plodded around conferences over the last 10 years, you used to, um, the conferences used to ring with arguments over where we are in the cycle. Now they ring with arguments over which fuel to use. And, uh, and so the whole perspective's changed, but absolutely the shipping cycle hasn't gone away. Um, the industry's made a lot of money recently. 
Um, we learnt in the the two decades ago, in two, 2000 to 2010, we learnt that you can actually have very long cycles with very good runs followed by very bad runs. And we've just, um, just had a very uh, bad run in, I'd say, the last 10 years uh, since the financial crisis has generally been quite difficult for ship owners. And we seem to, maybe we're, you know, we're coming to a, an era where we're going to get another upswing in the cycle. Who can say? Um, so, you know, you pay your money and uh, I certainly um, uh, have been expecting a recession, um, a short-term recession quite recently uh, for the last couple of years. But then you often get a short-term recession before you get a big kickback. Um, there's not much on the order book. Anyway, that's, uh, but that's for a different lecture, Nicholas. <laughs> Indeed, but, but I think, Martin, uh, on this uh, question, you, you have on one hand the decarbonization targets, the clean fuels and so on. And that is something that um, is mandated irrespective of the market cycle. The market cycle actually can help because if the companies need to make all these capital investments and they are in a good part of the cycle, they can fund them more easily. So I think the cycle always plays a role, especially when it comes uh, to investment decisions. Yes, it, it does. But I, um, I think the, uh, um, the, the, that uh, this goes back to the point I was plugging hard at in the first webinar. I think that a lot of this stuff that happens will be driven by market forces. Because whenever you look at a change, you, you always say, what is the motivator? What is nobody wants to change? What is going to force people to change? And what is going to force people to change is the high cost of fuel. And the high cost of fuel is much more powerful than IMO. I mean, IMO is a wonderful organization, and you know, we're all very grateful to have it, but it's it it, it has limited persuasive powers. Uh, whereas the uh, the market has infinite persuasive powers. And I think, you know, people will come to see that not only um, is the high cost of fuel vital, but actually the ability to generate the digital information that will enable you to slay the Minotaur is going to be very saleable to the cargo owners and you will make money out of it. I think you'll be a surprise, very surprised how much money the you know, whoever gets first really gets this in control. We make good money out of it. Martin, before thanking you uh, and closing the session, let me ask you, we're all enthusiasts of your marine economics uh, books, and uh, we have a fan here asking, how are you progressing with the new edition? Well, I'm uh, Nicholas, I'm sorry to say it took us, when I agreed to do this series of webinars, it took a bit of a step backwards. I've been <laughs> quite a few years on the fourth edition. I know exactly what I want to do. I've got some lots of nice new material for it, but it all takes, it's a big book and it takes a long time. And of course, if you if you do something like four webinars in such a technical area as this, it takes, it's taken me away. But once this is over, I'm back to the grindstone. And I... My publishers, I'm hoping to deliver it to the publishers late next year, if I possibly can. I know that sounds a long time, but it, you know, it's it's a big book. Well, Martin, 
I have to say I'm absolutely grateful on behalf of everyone who has the opportunity to really share into your insight. Your webinars are amazing. So thank you very much for this third edition today. We look forward to having the fourth one two weeks from now. And again, tremendous thanks. And to remind everyone that this webinar will be available uh, for replay and you can access it upon demand. Thank you, Nicholas. And thank, thank you, everybody. Bye-bye now.